Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Those of you who have listened to the show for a while have probably picked up on the fact that I enjoy talking basketball analytics, and today's guest has admittedly taken that affinity for basketball analytics to the next level. Dom Samanji is our guest today. Dom, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you, Tony. Um, excited to, to share some stories and, and get your thoughts too. So, thank yes. You. So go ahead and kind of tell us a little bit about your path to to where you are right now, and I think that'll kind of set things up for for where we go next. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, I always you when I'm I'm sharing my story, it's kind of two sides of it. Um, so I'm a finishing up my undergrad here at Syracuse University. Um, came up from Pittsburgh, PA, where I grew up. Came for the sport analytics major here um, because it was my passion um, and happened to meet one of the head student managers my freshman week, the first week, and um, kind of talked to him, kind of told him I'm interested in basketball. Um, so really, I, I applied for it, um, interviewed, and had the job the next week without even knowing that coming in. So looking back on it, it was it was a it was a lucky time, but I definitely was a, a worthy candidate, um, I would say. So from there, um, I've just been the past four years spending time with Coach Bayham and his staff day in, day out, setting up practices, helping with practices, um, firsthand look at player development, and then also you know, behind the scenes doing the manager stuff, cleaning up the locker rooms. It has always been the greatest work, but, you know, if you, if you love basketball, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to to be around the game. So I've been blessed to also travel the past year with the team. Um, went down to Atlantis this year, which was growing up, you know, as a kid watching the battle for Atlantis your whole life was really cool to be a part of it. Um, that's the one side of my story. Um, the other side is the analytics side. Like I said, I've been a four-year um, student in the sport analytics major here. Um, so it includes a lot of sports management classes that coincide with computer coding classes, statistic classes. So the way that I kind of got started in public research that has also, um, I've done a bit for the team here as well. It was the COVID semester, so spring 2020. Um, I happened to be taking my first coding class at the time. That semester got shut down early, so I went home. Um, so basically it was a perfect timing type of thing where I was in my room for 24 hours a day um, learning how to code. So I was like, why not just run with it? Um, so that whole summer, I, I basically just dove into to coding from there. I kind of just kept building on it. And then it happened to be August of 2020. I still remember the tweet I sent out. I was like, going to start tweeting about some basketball thoughts and things I do here and there. And, you know, I kind of just kept rolling with it. I found my niche with NBA draft content where I could go off my knowledge of the college game, but also work on you know, projecting those players to the NBA. So I also had to watch NBA a lot. And then from there, it just kept rolling. And, um, you know, I met a lot of people online that are um, super bright, which is something that kind of gets overlooked if you're a public, you know, content creator. There's so many smart people out there that I learned from. So 
Yeah, that's a really cool story. This is free, but coaches, if you're listening to this, this is this is typical, but it, I haven't seen a lot of kids do it. But what Dom has, he made the most of his college experience. I, I think, you know, especially in the sports world where there are more people interested than there are positions available. And what are you going to do to separate yourself? And you've done an incredible job of leveraging social media and your skills and your own, like you just mentioned, your own niche there to kind of uh, set yourself up for post-graduation work. I mean, that's phenomenal. Uh, talking about the analytics, I think we're all at the point now where you know coaches understand the importance of advanced stats, but maybe their application varies from program to program, just maybe who's based off of like who's on the staff. From your time there at Syracuse, whether it was there with the Orange or even you know observing what, what others were doing there, do you feel that teams are kind of all using it the same way or do you see um, kind of some discrepancy in uh, how important it is to their program or even how they integrate it into their programs? Like everyone kind of knows, the NBA game is definitely more ahead of, of where the college game is. Um, they just, there's much more of an abundance of data available, a lot more. They have, you know, trackers in the stadium, tracking the ball, hundreds of a second, statisticians, all, all types of that. But college game in the past few years has, has really been catching up. There's obviously some some full time spots popping up already, and even if the title, there's definitely people behind the scenes, GAs, managers doing um, at least some type of of number crunching. So um, even if it's not not there in a title, it's probably happening um, behind the scenes. I think it's definitely a, a growing thing in college basketball, and I think um, there's a lot more. I know shot quality um, on Twitter has been a really big revelation um, in in the public college basketball analytics sphere. Um, and there's more popping up that are kind of outsourcing their infrastructure and, you know, database college teams. So it's kind of the NBA kind of has that also, but NBA teams, from what I've heard, um, build out their own infrastructure, whereas college is kind of behind the, the eight ball where they're kind of outsourcing um, data from a different provider and then breaking it down in-house. So there's a lot of advantages right now. I think the transfer portal is one where teams are kind of seeing that there's an advantage where you can maybe project the player or have a, a better look at what that player will be for you and the team. So the college game is definitely catching up. And um, I think as you know, hopefully more spots open up full time with teams that they'll be able to hire even better candidates um, and, and hopefully focus more on, on what the analytics is and how that could can improve your decision making. So um, there's a bunch of different, you know, micro spots in the, in analytics that a team can can provide. But overall, um, they're definitely becoming more aware on a NCA wide scale. Yeah, I've seen you know director of analytics and scouting. I've seen data scientists. Is it still mostly people who are coming up with a report and handing it to a coach, or are these people who are sitting at the coach's table and and actually some of the decision makers, you know, I imagine somebody sitting there and saying, you know, we can do that, but you know, I found this is the case. I think we actually need to do this. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably a little bit of both, but you know, in my opinion, I think it's, it's more effective to have them, you know, be part of the decision-making process, um, you know, getting their Intel and the, the, one of the biggest things about being an analytics guy, um, and this goes probably for anyone in, in a basketball staff is being able to, translate and communicate your thoughts well um so i mean even a scout uh, if a guy goes on a recruiting trip for the weekend um he's got to be able to relay that 
um, message to the head coach in a, a digestible man, manner. So um, the same should apply for an analytics guy who, you know, dove into five guys in the portal. How are we going to translate that to the head coach? So I, I always say, I think if basketball analytics was just renamed to like basketball information, it would never be like this big of like a, a battle to like, say it's just more information that's only going to make your decision making better. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be some, some initial awareness of like maybe not accepting it as widely, but as a staff, if I were, you know, the head of a staff, I would love to, to have a guy be a part of decision-making instead of, you know, we'll take your report and read it ourselves and um, analyze ourselves. Whereas if we got his input, it would only make it more, more of an effective decision. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you can get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal shooting percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. There at Syracuse, did they talk much about analytics with the players or was that something that was primarily discussed amongst themselves? From my experience, you know, I was in constant touch with the assistant coaches, maybe not a ton, but, you know, we did a lot of, of recruiting stuff. They were always interested, um, you know, without sharing too much interested with like recruiting trends and sending our guy to the NBA and kind of maximizing that to, to how we portray that to recruits we want to sign. I don't think there was too much of, you know, telling players about their analytical side of their performances. But, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of analytics, they just immediately think of, you know, building models and predicting stuff. But giving a player his year-to-year improvements and stats is technically analytics. So um, that happens everywhere. I mean, if you're talking to a guy in the summer about his player development development plans and, you know, you shot 5% worse from the left side of the court from three than the right side, that's – Simple information that, you know, is probably seen in every staff in America, but it's technically analytics and um, it's just more information. So that's definitely what we probably touched on the most with the players is, you know, just basic information disguised as analytics. So probably a big player development focus here and, and trying to get the best out of our guys. Yeah, with our guys, it was the same. It comes to a point where you give them too much information, their eyes kind of get glazed over, and they're, they're not really hearing anything that you say. But you focus in on three or four main things. I think of on an individual level, we did that with guys, whether that was talking about you have to get this many rebounds, which will then allow you to score this many points, kind of just helping them in the way that they think about their scoring or think about how their contribution is to the team. Or we used a lot with the four factors and understanding as a team what we needed to accomplish. It could have been, it, it wasn't that difficult. It, it, it was something very simple for them to understand. And it became something that was almost like a fabric of our culture. How, yeah. to your point, it was just information that was integrated that helped them focus better on what they actually needed to do on the court. That can be huge for a kid if they can 
say if they can think think and see if i do this this will raise raise my three point percentage this which will allow me to score this something that simple can motivate them to to put in maybe a little bit extra work so that was good uh, can you think maybe of a real life example how analytics either changed how you all prepared for a game or even like prepared for a scout or a player yeah, I mean, like I kind of hinted at in my last answer, I think a lot of college basketball analytics-wise and, and, you know, game prep is just kind of what's been happening for years, um, but more widely accepted. And I think it happens all the time. You know, you got a player, maybe you played them the first time at home, the next time their first or second option's out. So now you got to kind of change, you know, that might be player um, personnel, but it also affects, you know, minutes played for the other team you know another player now has to fill that spot so technically there's numbers changing and you know you could quantify that to some point but it's also you know for the past how many years that's just a player personnel scouting thing so I think one example this year was actually pretty funny so we played Duke um, in the ACC tournament without Buddy Beheim. from what I heard we would have done it anyways with him but Mark Williams Duke center you know Lob threat, great feel, blocks pretty much every shot he sees. Killed us the first two games we played. Our zone this year, we had a tough time guarding the lob pass. Um, and I think he scored 20 or 30 points in two games off just lobs. So, which is an analytical information. Um, and from there, you know, we might have not called that analytics. But anytime he was on the court in the, the ACC tournament game, we went to a triangle and two. So what that did was it pretty much packed the paint. Um, and we forced them to pretty much make shots. And we ended up taking them to you know, the last three. We had a lead with, I believe, four minutes left. And we had our first team All-ACC leading scorer out. Um, it was a very subtle, but, you know, it kind of disguised as a 2-3 until, you know, he was on and off the court. And we did go back to the zone once he went off. So um, it was just a – that's probably always going to stick out in my mind, just an example of where – a player personnel issue, but it also, like I said, is an analytical thing where um, we were going to force him to take, force the team to take what we saw as less quality shots compared to, you know, a dunk that he probably converts 90% of the time. So it definitely helped. Although we didn't win the game, we probably played as best as the game we could have. So I remember still that we had a walk through the day before and coach brought it up and he was like, we're going to play triangle and two tomorrow anytime Williams is on the court. And we were all just like looked around and we're like, okay. Everybody <laughs> um, was out at that point. So like we kind of were all already on board. There was no like, okay, um, why are we doing this? It was more of like, we got to do something. So, you know, it was a slight, it was a major adjustment actually, but it was whether or not coach even realized it, it was definitely a numbers driven thing from the shot quality aspect, but also the personnel. So it almost worked out, but it was really cool to see from the shoot around where he implemented it to, you know, the film session that morning to the game that night where um, we took them to the last under four timeouts. So um, that's something that I'll probably be able to tell for. I was there when Bayheim went from the zone to the triangle and two and almost beat Duke, but it was it was really cool to see. Yeah, it was a great game. And it was, a, to your point, I mean, a great swing from the first two games. I don't know that anybody gave you all even a – close to a remote chance yeah. of, of even being in that game without buddy in the game. Yeah. Almost, almost pulled it out. That was a great yeah. example. 
Uh, I saw recently that that you and a couple of others were working and uh, worked together to win the Milwaukee Bucks hackathon. Can you kind of explain to people what that is and then maybe how you all presented that and who you presented that to? Yeah, so a hackathon is basically usually it's like a at a physical site where maybe there's an analytics conference and in one day there's a hackathon where you go with a group of three or four people. They give you a prompt where they ask a question, give you a data set, and you say have maybe four hours to come with come up with an answer and then you present it. Where in this case it was a thing where we signed up. It was an undergraduate hackathon, so we had a group of four for actually managers from Syracuse. So um, proud to say it was a manager win. So they, what it was basically was a week long study where on the first day they sent us an email with the prompt, um, which unfortunately can't share. It's kind of, you know, I don't know the term, but they were like, can't share the results, the questions, which totally understandable, but they send the prompt over what they want us to answer in our presentation. So it's a data set. So we have a week long period of crunching the numbers well, I guess, first of all, thinking of how we want to attack the, the question, um, then crunch the numbers, turn it into digestible, you know, a digestible report that we tried to visualize it with charts and, and graphs and stuff, but also break it down with um, hard hitting analysis where we not only had sound statistical methods, but also, you know, relayed that information in a basketball term. So what it was came down to was a month or a week long analysis. And then we presented that um, in a 15 minute time slot, the whole buck staff, which I believe was, was five, five people, four or five. And it was, it was really cool just to be able to, you know, put work out in front of a whole staff or an NBA team. And it went, I thought at the time extremely well and it ended up um, being great because we were named winners. Um, we beat out, some pretty big schools such as Harvard, Notre Dame, uh, I think Chicago was there, um, Marquette. So it was a pretty big win for us and especially a manager group. So definitely got better throughout the whole week trying to, you know, you want to put your best work possible in front of an NBA staff. So um, there was a few, you know, 4 a.m. nights in there, which probably isn't great for, for my health, but um, it got it done. So um, it was it was really cool and obviously, you know, whether you, you realize or not, I built some connections and, and already knew one of the guys on staff really well, who Christian Wright, if you listen to this, he was, um, he's been a great help and he was actually director of analytics for Memphis basketball at one point. So great example of the, the college to potential NBA pipeline. And, um, you know, those connections were really fun to make. And overall, it was a, it was a really cool experience. When you're evaluating player stats, what are the yeah. things that you're looking at first? Yeah, so that's I we talked about this earlier. Um, I tweeted about that well, a couple months ago just to kind of um, see what other people were doing. Obviously, there's no wrong answer. It's and I think it ranges like if you were evaluating a guy for um, a college team on a on a scouting report compared to you know projecting a guy to the NBA. You know, a college guy scout might be more immediate. What can he do now compared to to an NBA guy? You might be looking at more advanced stuff or his age stuff like that and, and maybe where it'll be in years so that's why the box score is always so um you know catches some different reviews because you can what i see could be completely different from what you from what you see just because it's a different different um perspective so but i always i think i always i, I pulled up the tweet i i think i always go you know first try to get an initial feel for the guy's production 
terms of points per game, rebounds, assists, um, just to get like an intro to to what he did the last year. And then um, I think I kind of then get a, get a look at how much time did he play to, to earn that production. So um, minutes played, games played, you know, there's guys that get hurt after seven games and they average 25 points. I don't know if I, you know, not trust, but, but value that as much as a guy that maybe did it for a whole season. So there's so many factors, like I said, but um, that's kind of just one example. Um, and then from there, you know, maybe go into a shooting splits, look at field goal percentage from two points, three points, and then obviously in the free throw percentage, which is known to be a pretty good indicator of potential improvement in the three-point line. And then, you know, a lot of guys, true shooting percentage has become a big thing, big thing. Um, which kind of, so it incorporates, um, it places more value on three point shots and also incorporates free throw percentages. So that's why, um, a guy like James Harden, you know, maybe not this year, but in the past few years has been really scoring off the charts in terms of true shooting percentage. Cause he, he used, or a couple years ago, shot the three really well, but also shot so many free throws a game where he was extremely efficient. And I think that's another just another underlying factor of what you got to dive into. So, yeah, I think it usually it goes production, then figuring out what type of usage role they played for that production. Um, and then from there, I guess you could also say it's like a position-based thing where point guard, shooting guard, I'll probably more often than not look at his shooting numbers than his rebounding numbers. Vice versa, with the center, I'll probably look at his blocks and rebounds before his three-point percentage because – you know, naturally you're going to say that you protect the rim as well as other guys. So that's probably a player stat perspective. And then a box score after a game, you're probably looking at, you hinted at earlier, four factors has become extremely popular and analyzing what your team did um, well that game. And um, I think that's just a pretty, pretty standard thing. And then I think the box score more is more of like a post game. You need to get your, get your thoughts together. And then you probably look at, at shooting percentages as well. And I know a lot of college data providers kind of send coaches their own scouting reports as well post game. I know HD Intelligence is a pretty big. They had an article written on them actually the other day. Um, I've talked to to their VP before, and they send their team five minutes within within five minutes of the final whistle. They're sending their team analytics report that that breaks it down even further than the box score, so they can see shot charts, more in-depth shot quality type things. So um, it's definitely progressing from the bo- just a strict, you know, go to the scores table, get the box score printed out. So um, the box score is, is making its way up, which is pretty exciting. So um, I guess that was a, a super long answer to, to the box score question, but um, I think it's just another thing of, of basketball. It's so, so exciting that this space is getting bigger because what I see can be different to you and, you know, talking that out can only make you a better basketball mind and then potentially make better decisions. So uh, last thing I'll ask you, do you have any, either a, a warning or just be careful or consider this when it comes to applying basketball analytics to either a strategy or a decision that's made? You hear this a lot just outside of basketball is just like knowing that nothing or, or what is it like the one, the guy who says he knows nothing will, will learn quicker or something. So I always try to approach approach a question with obviously I'll have some preconceived thoughts, but you know I always want to get thoughts from other people that might not be as analytically driven as me or someone else. Um, so I think the biggest thing in analytics is just going in with an open mind um, and not shutting anything down immediately. 
coaches, especially, you know, some old school guys, not to like throw them under the bus, but if they hear certain things or certain metrics, they might just shut down and um, which rightly so, you know, if they're, they're winning their way, that's perfectly fine. But I think having an open mind and um, looking to anything that could potentially make you a better basketball decision makers is definitely worth looking into. And then anything like specific things, I think it's always good to be wary of sample sizes. Um, you can probably back that up. Like some, like I said earlier, some guys only play so many games and, um, I know it's tough. Like I remember looking at scouting reports in our fourth game this year in conference and, and we have our conference stats up for our, our opponent. I'm like, the guys come over and like, this guy's shooting 67% from, from three. I'm like, yeah, it's probably because he's made like four out of six threes in three games. It's like um, leaving out like stuff like that. Like you might want to put totals in there so you can see he's four for six, not just 66% from three. So um, that's something that I, I've seen a lot happen, that it's a bad thing, but, you know, it's just where more information is better in that standpoint. So so sample sizes are the big thing. And then, you know, the argument also is the, it's always the eye test versus analytics. And sometimes the eye test is better, even if you're an analytics guy and like you, I'm sure you've seen throughout your experiences. Sometimes it, it doesn't back it up and you have to go with your gut. So it's not always a bad thing, but definitely want to try to incorporate both sides of the the thing um both sides of the the eye test analytics argument when you can but you know sometimes you, you got to go with your gut so yeah it, it is always a balance and uh mm-hmm. i think it is it, it's not a good decision to go just straight gut which i i feel like some coaches to your point like the old school it's all just on feeling and you know you can't tell me otherwise because i know this could happen versus the other side of it where it's all analytically driven and then to your point, it doesn't always happen that way, but analytics just simply kind of tell the story of what has happened and hopefully can help predict a little bit about what might happen, but it doesn't necessarily always happen that case. With that, I think that something that has been helpful for coaches is showing them this is what it has looked like over the past 10 games, 15 games, 20 games, season, whatever. And you do a great job. I'm so glad that I found you on Twitter a few weeks ago. But you just scroll down through your feed there. And one of the things that you do great with is providing the the charts and the visuals that go along with it that sometimes I think people who aren't really into the numbers can kind of get like too much of information overload with. But one of the things that you do with not just shot charts, but some of the other uh, graphs that you use, um, can you tell people where they can not just find you on Twitter? You've mentioned that a couple of times, but also mm-hmm. website and some of the stuff that they can find on those pages. Yeah. So um, I think the best place, like you said, to find me is my Twitter, which is at D Samangi, um, D-S-A-M-A-N-G-Y. I try to stay pretty active over there. And then I do have a couple of things that, you know, I work on the side, like some websites that for the NBA draft and all that. So I do actually have a link in my Twitter bio, which is probably the best way to find all that. I'm mean, instead of so many links. Um, so I did the, the link tree thing saves a lot of people, I'm sure, with um, just putting it all in one place. So that's probably the best place to find me and some of the stuff I've done. That's Dom Samanji. As you mentioned, you can find him on at D Samanji. You'll find just a ton of great stuff. A great follow. I'd encourage you to go check it out. Dom, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tony. Had a great time and thank you again.